dive into the mind of Brett Boone as we turn to the baseball legend to find out what's happening in his life and around Major League Baseball. This is Turning Two with Booney. Here's your host, Rich Herrera. Hey, happy Friday to you all. It's time for Turning Two with Booney. I'm Rich Herrera, executive producer of the Boone Podcast, the aforementioned Brett Boone. Uh, happy Friday in the beginning of football season to you, Brett. Oh, awesome, Rich. Love the beginning of football season. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're very, very excited. We'll talk a little football on the program with you today. But uh, number one, uh, how was your trip? Last time we talked, you were on your way to Chicago uh, to see your son play in the Frontier League with Bob Boone and uh, wanted to get an update for the fans of the Boone family. Uh, how the trip went? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's always an adventure with Dad, you know getting there asking me 52 times what time the flight leaves and is this his this is not my seat dad yes it is all right you can have my seat i'll sit in your seat so no it was uh it was a good trip it was a good trip jakey (laughs) we were there three games jake only got one hit usually when when dad and and grandpa come into town uh, Jakey, I've never seen him have a bad series. And he went 0 for the first day, 0 for 3 the second day with a walk. And, you know, uh, I'm thinking, I, I turned to dad game three. I said, I don't think we've ever been here where Jake didn't get a hit. So he snuck one in the last day. We left the next day. He got three hits. And I okay. texted, you know, I texted him. But uh, rough year for them. I mean, they're at the, they're at the bottom of the division. Uh, got to. Got to hang out with Richie a little bit. His well, first... make sure everybody knows Richie Saxon's the manager. Richie Saxon's the manager. It's his first year in pro ball managing. Um, Jared Wright. And uh, it, it's interesting to see from the beginning of the season. Right. When when I kind of – we went out there for right around opening day. And to see them four and a half months later. It's grind. It's like – Okay, now we've been through something, you know. But but it's what it's what you got to do in whatever profession you you're in. You know, Rich, you've got to you've got to. For Richie, sitting at home, he's a retired player, had a great career. Yeah, if he wants to pursue being a manager. You got to do something. You can't just sit at home and say, "Somebody come scoop me off my couch and put me in the position I want to be in." You kind of have to. And I talked to Richie about this. Kind of got to raise your hand right. and say, "Hey, I'm serious." And Okay, well, I still don't believe you. Show me you're serious. Well, he went to independent ball, and he managed. Now people know he's serious. Now he's in the game. So I, I think it was a good experience for him. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we, we have a golf trip every offseason uh, in, in November, and it'll be an interesting four days reminiscing on his first, his first uh, managerial position in pro ball. But I think all in all, uh, Good. I think they're looking forward to the season end and the minor league season ends uh, in about a week. And uh, Jake will be coming home and, and deciding his next move. And where do we go from here? It'll be it'll be interesting. OK, so let's stop for just a minute. Let me let me let me just take you down this rabbit hole. So let's start with with Richie and then we'll get to the players, because this is the dog days of summer. So okay. we hear this term. I've heard it since I was a little kid. Oh, the dog days of summer. I don't appreciate it because I'm a baseball fan. I just want to see a game every day. Uh, as a broadcaster, I would get tired. But if my team was going to go to the postseason, I was just excited because 
we're going to the postseason. Got a chance to get a ring. If I was on a really bad team, if I was with a bad team, then I couldn't wait for the season to get over. But there was still some kind of melancholy, bittersweet sadness to the season was going to come to an end because I like being at the ballpark. I want to talk about what you see with, with Richie as a manager and a coach in the grind of just all hundreds of baseball games, the mental fatigue that you have, because I think you'd be a hell of a coach. I think you'd be a hell of a manager, Brett. You know, you know the game as well as anybody else that I've ever met, but there is that grind of doing this every day for 162 games. Imagine all the games that Dusty Baker has oh, run through in his head yeah. in his life and Bruce Bochy and Buck Showalter and everything that they've done, it is a grind that none of us appreciate. Exactly. You got to love this game to do it. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. But but do you really like it? Because you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, you're dealing with, with 26 guys and not only 26 guys, but the at the professional level, at the big league level, you're dealing with sending guys down, releasing guys, calling guys up, calling guys up, sending them back down. So there's that side of it too, that the players, uh, the guys, the mainstay players, the main guys in that clubhouse, they don't deal with that side of it. Um, you got to deal with the media uh, before and after every game. You got to deal the media, with the manager, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. owner's expectations, fans. With, you can't go to dinner. You can't go to dinner if you're Buck Showalter in New York and not have a Mets fan come up and say something to you. Right, especially right now, especially in New York. You know, Aaron and Buck, that's a different animal, New York, uh, than than everywhere else. Um, but, all right, let's simplify it. For a Richie Sexton, it's his first. Played a long time, had a great career, has coached at the high school level and has enjoyed it, you know, with his kids. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to start doing it for real. Getting Oh, he's excited. You know, you get this. It's, you know, I try to tell people it's a high aid level that he's that he's managing. But when you come straight from the big leagues and then you go to a high A level, it's different. Right. <laughs> These kids are still learning. They're still they're not the finished product that you see at the big league level where you've done all your training. You've done all your preparation work. Now I'm a big leaguer. Now I expect you to perform. It, the teaching's over. Well, Richie's at that teaching level where, OK, yes. Why are we doing this? And, and why do we continue to do this over and over again? Because that's what kids do in A-ball. And I see that frustration with him. Uh at the same time, he enjoys it because he wants to to be a part of that kid, making him a little bit better, teaching him the the things that Richie's learned at the big league level. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a combination. It's the look on his face like, whoa. But at the same time, I'm glad I did it. Does that right. make sense? Does that okay, make so sense? Let's, let's make this relatable. It's a, gratify, it's a gratifying thing to get through the grind. It's, right, it's so an accomplishment. Make, All right. Let's make this relatable to folks then, right? All of us have taught our kids, our sons or daughters, how to play catch, right? Mm-hmm. Some of us have, have coached Little League, so we, we understand that. Um, you were um, a roving instructor for a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. You also coached uh, all three of your boys? Yeah. I, okay. I, the travel ball. The travel ball. So I, I always remember the stories about Ted Williams because I was on the board of directors for the Ted Williams 
Hitters Hall of Fame and Museum. And and Ted managed the uh the the senators and, and the Rangers, but the frustration for him was that not everybody could pick it up as easily as he could. How about you? I, I know for me, I had to read the Matheny Manifesto, which I recommend anybody who's got a kid who's gonna play baseball or or just be a great dad or mom read. I think it's probably one of the 10 books that a parent has to read the book by Mike Matheny. And I, and we still have to get him on the program. Um, but I also th- wonder what it's like for you because the game of baseball came pretty easy to you when you were a roving instructor and you're teaching kids, you're trying to teach kids something that you could just, you just picked up automatically. They're having a hard time picking it up. How frustrating was that for you? Well, I don't think the word's frustrating, Rich. You gotta, um, you go into any situation. Okay, I took the job in, I think, 2014. And uh, I answered to Billy Bean, and I had to, pretty much my job was, was I needed to, about eight days a month, I was on the road. And I'd go see A-ball, double-A, or wherever I was told to go, wherever I was needed the most. We had a, we had a, a plethora of talent. It, that particular time you had the the Olsons who's now thriving in Atlanta you had the Chapmans who's that third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays um we had a good group and a talented group so that makes it a little bit easier at the same time I go into it uh, as an ex-player uh with your resume you go into the situation you have instant credibility but that doesn't mean you have the credibility forever you've got to prove to those players that you can help them or that's great. Your resume is great. Meeting you is great, but I need somebody that can help me. Eventually they're going to go there. And and I always use the, well, you did the same thing, didn't you? Yeah. I always use the scenario of if the peanut lady or the hot dog guy can help me, I'm going to go meet with him right now before the game. Cause that's all players want. Now I, I, I look at it. I look at the game. I knew where, what my skill set was. I knew, I, of course, I can help you in the middle infield, little tricks of the trade, things I used, how I trained. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean when I'm working with a second baseman, I teach them to turn two like Brett Boone. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe I can't do it your way. I'm willing. Right. There's not one way. There's certain basic fundamentals you need to do defensively and offensively to be successful. But how we get there, many different ways. You know, I, I wasn't that it's not one shoe fits all. It's like, no, we have to do basic things. But if this is easier for you, let's do it this way. So I took that in consideration. Same with hitting. Doesn't mean you can hit. I know the fundamentals of hitting. I know what great hitters do, what all the great hitters do, where they're at when the ball's in the hitting zone. But we all get there in a different way. And what I like doing with the game is. Is talking the mental side, how to prepare how a big leaguer prepares for 162 games. Right. That to me is where I can really help somebody because I went full circle. I went from that young kid that didn't plan out, had no plan, came to the ballpark swinging hard and, and collecting names. And then all of a sudden those, those big league pitchers gave me some humble pie. And I had to sit my butt down and reevaluate and go, there's got to be something different. Right. And then I had a great year and then I had a good year and then I had a tough year and then I had to redo my swing. So I went through all the changes. Then I went to back to Seattle as a veteran player. 
uh, got with an Edgar Martinez, talked about him. Why are you winning batting titles that I'm not? Teach me. And um, he gave me some advice. And next thing you know, I'm thinking through the process. And now I have a plan each and every day I come to the, to the ball. It's like when you're young, a young man that, that gets a, uh, I don't know if this is a good scenario, a young man that comes into inherits a bunch of money. That's how I was going to go at right. 22 years old. And man, he's got the Lamborghini and the Porsche and the, this and the, that, and he's 30 and he goes, where'd that money go? <laughs> if that man All were the- to, all the right. dumb things you bought and wasted your time. Right. With. But now later on in life, he, he gets that same amount of money. He's going to go about it a little bit differently. First thing he's going to do is he's going to go to somebody he trusts in his life. That is a money manager and say, help me with this. Not, I don't run the show. Uh, these are all life lessons. These are things that I had to learn baseball wise through my career. Sometimes it was, it was tough learning it the way I did. Uh, but I think in the end it, this game is so hard, and it's so hard to be good. I think sometimes the tough times teach you to appreciate it. And I talk, we talk often because I get kind of sick of talking about the 2001 Mariners and 116 wins. But I also realize that's a part of my life. Right. That that's not going away. It's like, hey, your dad played big league baseball, and your grandfather played big 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 league baseball. There was a time in my life where I resented that question. But as I get older, I realize that's a part of who I am. That's not going away. That's not going away. I need to answer these questions. People want to know. I understand that now. Um, But it wasn't an overnight process. But once again, back to where I was, I'm getting off topic here. I'm often asked about the 2001 Mariners. Well, I'm going to be asked asked about that to the day I die. Everybody on that team is going to be asked about that because sure. we did win 116 times and we didn't win the world series. So there's, well, it's a twofold question and that's going to be there forever. But that year with everything I'd been through in my career from the minor leagues to coming up and, and having success and having failure and getting sent to the minor leagues and back to the big leagues and back to the minor leagues, having some all-star years, some gold glove years, but also having some really tough, long seasons where I hit 233 one year and, and just, it's like, I forgot how to hit, uh, all that for 2001, those type of seasons, they pre- it prepared me for it because I had such a good time that year, but at this, but at the same time, I appreciated it because I knew how tough it was. I'd been through the grind. I realized that years like this don't come. They're just not, you just don't wake up and they happen. Realize you're going through something special and appreciate it instead of it. Oh yeah, of course I'm doing this. Cause I'm great. No, at that point you, you, we we've laughed at ourselves enough. We'd been humbled enough to know, Hey, I can enjoy this, but in a humble way, because this doesn't happen every year. So I don't know, just, I don't know. That, that, I don't know if that explains it well, no, it does. But, it does. but that's that that's that's where I'm kind of coming. From. All right, I got one goofy question then. Yeah, you talk about that guy who has all the money, buys the Lamborghinis, and all the rest of that. Right. What's the stupidest thing that you bought that you <laughs> wish you could have your money back for? <sighs> Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month. 
like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Oh, a lot of things. Because <laughs> people, I, I think people don't un, people don't get to see this part. Inside certain clubhouses around baseball, they have people that are there to wait on you hand and foot. And whether you want jewelry, a custom suit, shoes, well, you name I, it, the, the, there's there's someone there who's going to do something for you that's different than all the rest of us. I uh, okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, I've got a, a friend of mine, friend first, financial advisor second, who I work with to this day, and uh, we work with on best on investments, etc. But he was a friend first, and this he's a friend. Uh, he's kind of in my circle of buddies of okay. ex players. He's just in that world. His name's Joe, and uh, for years I, I kind of went through life blindly. And I bought. I remember, Rich, I bought my first house. And I was a rookie in the big leagues and I bought it in Florida and I was proud of that house and I got it. And you know what I did? Two years later, I sold that house for a good profit, probably a 30% profit. So now I go down and I build my first house. I'm still in Orlando, Florida. And I buy the land and I build the the house. And uh, seven years later, when I leave there, I sell that house for a good profit, 40 or 50% profit. Okay. I go to Seattle. I, you know, I buy a house in Seattle. I buy it for a good price. When I, when I retire from the game, good profit. So what does that make me? I am an absolute I'm, I'm genius. A, I'm a, I'm a guru. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a residential property guru. Yes, right? you're flipping. You're a house flipper. Now. Oh, I'm a house flipper. So I think this is how life works. Everything you buy turns to gold, and you automatically turn a profit so my buddy joe and you know at this point in my life you know we're work. we have some deals together i have some investments with him and i'm about to retire and i'm going to go back to california and build my dream home so i buy the land and i buy a house in in the in the interim why the new house is being built First of all, he said, that's a mistake. He said, Brett, rent a house. If you're going to buy a house, if you're going to sell your house, you just sold your house in Seattle. If you're going to build a new home, I want you to rent a house in the in the meantime while the house is being built. I think it's fiscally more responsible. I don't like the times we're going through right now. Oh, no, I'll just buy this house. Everything. everything I buy turns to profit. Well, I get my butt kicked on the first house that I buy because it's a downturn. My new home is uh built in 2007 if everybody remembers 2007 what happened everything yeah the housing market and and the and the market in general got crushed so i'm sitting there you know i go through a tough time family wise and and uh, i get a divorce so i'm going through that so what does the divorce mean divorce means you need to sell your house well it could have been maybe the worst time in the history of real estate in in the san diego area for the size of house that I was selling to resell it. So of course I get my butt kicked on that one hat in hand, come back to my buddy, Joe and go, man, Joe, if I would have just listened to you, to you. Eh, I would have saved a lot of money. But anyway, 
you know, it's just, it's life lessons. It's, you don't right. know it all. You know, I just happened to luck into every house I bought as a young man. I, I turned a profit. And then all of a sudden, when I was getting some advice from, from somebody that really knows the market, right. knows what they're doing, comes to me and says, this is what I would do, Brad. I would do this, this, and this. But at this point, right? I'm oh, no, move. Joe, you don't know what I've done in the past with my real estate investments. I, I'm a know it, you know. I didn't know it all. I just got lucky. I was fortunate to be right place, right time. Right. And all of a sudden I had a guy that was really had some knowledge in this industry, but I had never failed. So right. I was like, who is he to tell me? I know what I do, everything I touch. And he was right. And to this day, we laugh about it because I said, That's Joe, awesome. man, I wish I would have just listened to you as a kid. He goes, I tried to tell you, he said, but booty, we're doing okay. Anyway, that's another lesson in life. And it is, and Life is full of them. It, they never stop. I right. think I know. I, man, I thought I knew a lot about the game of baseball at twenty-two and life. What about what about just a dumb purchase then? Just something you saw in a store and you bought it, and you're like, "Why did I buy?" You know. Oh, I've I've bought some some art pieces. Oh, memorabilia. That's oh. the, the one night, and this is probably. In, late nineties. First of okay. all, you got to know the room you're in. So I, I, this, this, this event will go unnamed because it was kind uh, of for a while affiliated to, to major league baseball. And it since had a falling out. And so you got to know the room you're in when, when purchasing memorabilia, right? I, I got to think, all right, who's going to outbid me? Who's going to bid me? So I'm at this event and it's in the late nine, early two thousands. Okay. And there's some really neat, memorabilia pieces in the room you know i think i'm pretty cool i'm pretty i'm brett boone i'm brett boone and uh, I'm I'm in, boone. you know i'm in my heyday and i'm looking at these pieces of art and i'm saying oh muhammad ali this and that you know i've and at the time i was a drinker i'm, I'm having a few drinks i'm feeling pretty good and the bidding starts i start bidding on everything rich i bought so much memorabilia that night and came out of there like I cleaned house because nobody was outbidding me. And and I really at the time thought I got a great lot of memorabilia for a really good price. Well, fast forward years later, you know, I'm going through my divorce. And so what does that mean? That means you got to sell all the memorabilia and split it up. So I go to an auction house and I give them the memorabilia. They take it away in their their trucks. And years later, or, or I'm sorry, about a week later, I get a phone call. From the from the guy at the auction house says, Brett, uh, we got a we got a few discrepancies. I said, What is that? Well, the uh LeBron James, the Jack Nicholas, the uh Stan Musual, all this memorabilia goes, uh, they're all fake. No, <laughs> but the good news is is your Muhammad Ali robe is real. Uh, this is real. Half the memorabilia was fake. So I think I have this this memorabilia that's worth x well if it's if they say it's fake it doesn't matter whether it's no. fake or not it's like a signature if yeah. i sign so if i sign a ball and i sign it kooky or weird not like i normally do and the guy that has that stamper that approves it says that's a fake signature. doesn't matter if it's real or not right if they don't authenticate it it's as good as fake it's it's not worth anything so I, I didn't want to argue the facts of, no, this is real. I got this piece I of paper. I got the certificate of authenticity. Right. It doesn't matter. If they say it's fake, they're going to put it in their auction and they're going to say it's fake. 
So it, it does me no good. So I've got to go through this whole rigmarole of calling the guy, the head of the, it's fake. He's going, no, it's not fake. It's real. I can authenticate it. I said, I don't care if you can authenticate it. They won't authenticate. I go through this big legal, you know, we get lawyers involved. Next thing you know, you know, we, we come to a settlement. I didn't want any part of this, but, but it's like, okay, I got fake memorabilia. I thought it was real. It was at a reputable function, which is now not a reputable function. And, you know, my, my, the, the, the mother of my children would like half her money for this fake memorabilia. So what I was it, being a big shot at an auction. I was being a was big shot be. at an auction. So yeah, that was one of the goofiest things I did. And I didn't do my homework. And you know what? That's why I don't drink rich. That's why, that's, that's why I'm a sober guy good. now. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Uh, Cause I've been to those before and I'll be the first guy to bid for that Ali robe. And then and my, you and then you hope. Oh, that, please. please. And my wife's looking at me like, you idiot. We can't afford that. Don't worry, honey. I'm just helping push it up so we'll raise money yeah, for everybody right. else. And hope I don't get stuck. And hope I don't get stuck. Yeah. What's the best piece of memorabilia you own? Not Boone family related. Not Boone. That those are my those are my coolest things. Is the um you know, some of my grandpa's stuff I really right. I think is cool. My dad's my dad's mask you know that's kind of the famous mask in base people that know the game the, the first a lot yeah a lot of you know the first time people ask me is hey does your dad still have that mask they know him by the right. mask because he wore a mask that was different than everybody else's uh well you got his gold glove behind you i got his gold glove the family stuff to me is is is, is kind of is the best you know i have some cool pieces i have a really cool piece that i like of uh of Barry Bonds that I kept really? and it, it's a ticket stub signed from every game. The year he hit 73 home runs. I got wow. a ticket stub from every game that, uh, that he hit the home run. I think that's a pretty cool piece. Um, but for I the most it. part, for the most part with that, with that auction, Rich is where I had a lot of my memorabilia that wasn't family or personal. Right. You know, I, I have a lot of personal from from teammates uh, right. later in my career. And I wish I would have collected a little bit more. But later in my career, if somebody would send over requests and say, you know, can Brett sign a bat for me? A lot of times I'd say, oh, I'd be happy to and have them send, you know, send me one over signed. So it's stuff like that was cool. Uh, but but as far as really cool pieces, you know, Gramp stuff, I really like dad's stuff, uh, I think is really cool. Um, you know, my award, personal awards. Yeah, they're, they're great. But other than that, I really don't have pieces that I think, oh, wow, this is really near and dear to me. You know, I, I couldn't live without this. Now, anything, everything else I kind of, kind of part with it's, it's the family stuff. That's really cool for me. That's awesome.